Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Professor Shy Guy. I sing, play guitar solos, and make chip tunes, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. And I'm John. And this is a very special episode of Nerdy Show. We're going to be talking with David X. Cohen, co-creator and executive producer of Futurama, who also wrote for the show The Simpsons and Beavis and Butthead. He's a man with uh, substantial nerd cred and no doubt a completely righteous dude. We're talking to him because he's going to be one of the speakers at this year's Moogfest. If you're a longtime listener of Nerdy Show, you'll know that um, we've covered Moogfest uh, before. In the past, it was an electronic music festival and uh, always one of my favorite music events of the year. Well, this year, it has completely transformed into something bigger and, dare I say, nerdier than before. Moogfest now touts itself as being the synthesis of technology, art, and music. And judging by their guest list, it looks like it's just that. You get some of the biggest names in electronic music from uh, present day to the past and an incredible roster of daytime speakers will be putting on incredible panels. David X. Cohen is among those speakers. He's going to be putting on a panel with other writers from Futurama and uh, talking about the mathematics behind the show. Lots of hidden Easter eggs in the background of episodes. So this episode of Nerdy Show is the first in a series of uh, us interviewing people who are presenting at Moogfest. John and I are both going to be at the show, as well as Brian from Flame On. So we're talking to David X. Cohen in this episode. We're also going to be talking with Claire Evans of the band Yacht, who recently resurrected the legendary science fiction magazine Omni. Mark Fronfelder, editor-in-chief of Make Magazine and founder of Boing Boing. And Neil Harbison, the world's first government-recognized cyborg. So those interviews are going to be happening um, about every other week, up to the first week of April. And then Moogfest is happening in Asheville, North Carolina, April 23rd to 27th. It's always been amazing, and this year it's just all the more amazing. We'll get into that a little bit later. And then we'll be there, so what's not to love? It's been a while since we've had a SciTech-dedicated episode, and the other episodes in the series of us talking with people who are going to be at MoogFest are all kind of going to be SciTech-heavy episodes, which is great because, um, like I said, we, ha- we haven't done it for a while. And a little while ago, John, you know, we, we had a kind of a moment of SciTech in one of the episodes you were in. It may have actually been our Top 20 Nerdy Things episode that ended 2013. That would 
makes sense. I mean, it almost always includes some sort of bizarre stuff. I mean, I remember what was half on that stuff. It's all blurring together. Whenever we do one of those episodes, it, it's always nutty because you don't realize how much shit happens in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And then just, we and then we have to year. rate them and decide what is nerdier than another thing. Which is in itself a deliberately Herculean task yes. to take on to yourself because it just it's, it's impossible to really do. But we try. And that's what's fantastic about it. Yeah, that's right. Neil Harbison, the, the world's first government-recognized cyborg, his government recognition was actually uh, number three on our top 20 nerdy things of 2013. If you want to check that list out, it'll be linked on this episode's page. Uh, John, you actually got a little bit of fan mail following what? the SciTech segment. I, I know, I know. It, this is from a, a listener named Jerry Appel. He says, dude, I always love the SciTech segment. If John would return to blow my mind with the ways of science, my neurons would be most grateful. That's the nicest thing anybody's actually said about me. Except, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, most of the time it's shut up, please stop. I mean, seriously, what are you doing? <laughs> or, or you're like a friend of mine who's also insane and crazy and tells you about things that you don't want to know. Well, but the good thing about Nerdy they, Show is that anyway. people do want to know these things. And this is just maybe, the, I guess, the first time that someone spoke up and said, damn it, John, where have you been? And that's why I'm so happy. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to channel Krieger there a little bit. <laughs> it was close. I need to watch more Archer all, you, all on repeat. Did you see that Archer got renewed for a sixth and seventh season today? I, I think that that is the only good news I ever hear about television is that Archer gets renewed readily. <laughs> Out of all the shows, that would be the one that I'd expect would have been taken off immediately just for like ridiculous content. Yeah, it is a beautiful 21st century miracle that uh, Archer is a show that's sustained by a loving audience and a network that's good to it. Yeah, yeah, literally doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But that's not why we're here today. We're here to talk about Futurama. (laughs) First, a little bit of SciTech news before we talk with David X. Cohen. Science. 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 If you're listening to this when this episode's coming out, then South by Southwest is in full swing. That's the um, massive film, music, and uh, interactive technologies convention in uh, Austin, Texas. We've been in the past and we've covered it, but uh, let me tell you, it is a clusterfuck, and I can never decide whether I'm sad or happy on the years that I don't go. I honestly don't understand how anybody can actually go and pretend that they've been, even after having gone, with all the stuff spread all over the city like that. I mean, you are wherever you are, you're missing more than's there. Yes. I usually go there like trying desperately to cover it as a journalist and it just makes you crazy. And uh, I, I would like to someday leisurely experience South by Southwest if, if that's such a thing as possible. I think I'd, I'd enjoy myself more. There's I'm a- pretty sure that that is in fact impossible, especially because this year Warren Ellis will be there for a short duration brought in by MIT's Media Lab. So yeah, <laughs> it's always- just going to go nuts. There's something everywhere. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jonathan London of Geekscape, who's also the writer for the recently debuted Miami Vice comic that uh, resurrects the original series, takes place in continuity between seasons one and two. First issue's out digitally, and it's awesome. He's um, doing a, a film with the guys from Red Letter Media called Doc of the Dead. It's a documentary about zombie culture. So if you're uh, in the Austin area, you should check that out. And when that's more readily available, you should also check that out. But we, the first reports are in of crazy shit happening at South By. And um, this one is, uh, it had to happen sooner or later. 
They got a drone with a stun gun hooked up to it, and it just took down its first human victim. Classic ridiculous nonsense. John, did you watch the video for this? I did. It's just, you know, like, it's not even impressive to watch. They look like they're in an abandoned (laughs) building, though. I mean, that adds some mystique, right? That abandoned building is their office. (laughs) that's so stupid anyway (laughs) they said they said that they didn't want to do it uh, in a public place because of the panic that it would cause well i mean I, i guess at least they got that right but it's just like you see a drone fly up behind the guy and then you see him fall. <laughs> Basically. That's pretty much the video. And then then they're interviewing the guy while the paramedics are, you know, yanking the darts out of the guy's back. You know, the usual. What, what's so stupid to me, though, is it's like this is unimpressive. This is just saying <laughs> the police can now take you out with a drone. But I saw some hicks in the woods on the YouTube's fire a fully automatic shotgun, which I may or may not have mentioned in a previous episode, which should actually tell you how long ago that was. A fully automatic shotgun from a helicopter drone. Now, why you would use a shotgun necessarily on a drone specifically, especially because, of course, they'd probably be more adept at firing like a single round. Well, then not easy to reload and definitely some recoil problems. I all of a sudden started thinking to myself like, well, maybe if they put the right shot in the shotgun, then they'd be able to hit a target particularly well with the buckshot spread is, you know, increasing its accuracy, so to speak, by decreasing it. But anyway, the point is, is that these guys had rigged up a fully remote controlled large RC helicopter with a fully automatic shotgun on the bottom years before this. This team has a small drone with a stun gun. Maybe that's actually the key here. Size. In the case of drones, the smaller and more lethal you can make a tiny ass little thing, the better. Actually, I'm having a flashback. I remember seeing one of those uh, atrocious uh, DOD demo reels that they make to to get the generals really interested in funding a project. Uh huh. (laughs) All a real genius. And so, like, you know, you have this terrible video, and the whole entire thing was basically saying that this company was going to develop tiny, tiny drones that, you know, would basically fly through the city. I think they were going for like the size of like a bug or something practically. And it was going to be able to, what was it, like land on the person's head and explode or something? It was was basically selling a lethal swarm of fly-sized drones that could work in tandem with each other and bug places or take people out subtly. And of course, be able to handle crazy wind variations, you know, where they'd like you can imagine them flying down through Manhattan, right? Uh-huh. Like through fucking downtown New York City, huge buildings and, you know, the wind coming up through a corner. But they're able to change and adapt to it. Don't worry. America's little tiny robotic drones are going to be able to continue and, you know, fulfill their task. Your tax dollars at work. Yes. Um, I I think that's what terrifies me these days. It's like, you know, we grew up with nukes being like a thing, but it was always kind of like, and then we decided that that was a bad idea. But now we've managed to evolve around that. Don't worry. Tiny (laughs) little spies that you can't see or won't notice, and they may or may not be packing a hand grenade. Well, the um, the less scary version of it, the one with a taser attached to it, the one that John thinks is stupid, uh, was made by Chaotic Moon, and this little number is called Cupid, the Chaotic Unmanned Personal Intercept Drone, which shoots 8,000 volt stun darts. I think that's the upgrade, the unmanned part. 
It is a tarot hexacopter with a phaser dragon rigged up to it and a cycloptic monster face painted on it. So this is an unmanned drone that's capable of tasing somebody and it's small enough to well, fly through it a is, building. It is a manned drone. It is a manned drone. Due to legal requirements, the drone has to be flown manually by a pilot with a second person operating the stun gun. Who the hell set those legal requirements, right? I guess like, Texas. I don't know. But uh, don't worry. That's only about as much oversight as you would have manning our nuclear arsenal. <laughs> I mean, I realize that it's not quite that simplified, but, you know. There was something potentially less controversial and definitely more tasty happening at South By, though. There's always amazing food in Austin, like uh, ice cream cones laced with bacon, rattlesnake sausage. But actual rattlesnake? Yes. See, that is a delicacy. Austin is a place for sexy food, but this one comes from the outside and from a very unlikely source. I, I really don't think there's anything more shocking, really. It's IBM. Well, not just IBM, but a very famous entity within IBM. IBM's Watson Supercomputer. Former Jeopardy Super Duper champion. I guess current, actually, in a roundabout kind of way. We all know nobody's actually going to ever be able to beat that. But nonetheless, we're talking running food through Watson's brain and having it spit out completely new and original recipes. We're talking Australian chocolate burrito. We're talking Swiss Thai asparagus quiche. I can't even begin to explain to you how badly I want this chocolate burrito. I have been dreaming of it. It was the biggest argument for me dropping everything and going to South by. (laughs) Creole shrimp lamb dumplings. It's a much bigger picture here. This is also clearly the child remix culture because all of these dishes are, you know, everything's been done, right? Until you go and cross-pollinate across cultures that literally have almost no business being together. It's like how ligers happen. Lions and tigers, never around one another. Thus, they can't have sex, no offspring. But now, Watson's bringing these things together. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. You're, you're saying you're going to get, like, gigantic cat retards, but of flavor. Right. These are the ligers of the culinary world. Things that shouldn't actually <laughs> exist, yet they do, thanks to inadvertent human intervention. Well, well I, I guess, actually, it was completely deliberate, but... And, <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't really just amount to, uh, to a supercomputer remixing a bunch of different recipe ideas in its brain, but also that apparently Watson's been programmed with certain amounts of like flavor profiling and is able to compute more than the average human brain can. Therefore, it has some kind of... Because don't worry, you aren't special. (laughs) It has some kind of a a, a virtual intuition created by the, the software they've made for it with the recipe thing. And so like, I think the way it works is you pick an ingredient and then it kind of runs with it. And then the chef sort of decipher what it is that Watson's given them. Which is, of course, admittedly kind of a dangerous point of um, meddling, I guess you could say. Like, what did it really spit out in the end? And I, I don't know if that, that information is, like, exactly public, but uh, the reason we're talking about it at South by Southwest is that they, uh, they turned Watson's creations into a food truck. They were in Las Vegas before, but they're in Austin right now. And if somehow you're lucky enough to taste this shit, oh my god, email us, info at nerdyshow.com. I want to know everything. Let's, uh, let, John, are you ready, you ready to talk to David X. Cohen? Yeah. I mean, as much as anyone could. Yes, okay. Well, we, uh, we're we going to bring in another nerdy show host. Me, Tony, that guy. Hi. And here we go. With us on the phone, we have none other than David X. Cohen, executive producer for Futurama. Hello, this is me, the X. <laughs> X producer of Futurama, but... I know when I picked the middle initial X, I didn't really have that downer of a meaning in mind, the X producer of Futurama. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's okay. It's a hell of a legacy under your belt. I mean, that's still why we're here today talking. Uh, you have a presentation coming up at MoogFest called The Math and Science of the Simpsons in Futurama. Correct. It's kind of a strange roundabout story that got us here, but um, this uh, great British science author, Simon Singh, wrote a book recently called uh, The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets, and it's been getting a lot of press, and I did an interview with him and one of the organizers of Moogfest, or Moogfest, your choice of pronunciation, happened to hear it and thought that might be a good thing since they're branching out into uh, futurism and technology and stuff like that, so invited a bunch of us uh, Futurama and Simpsons writers and Simon Singh himself to moderate the panel. Yeah, I've attended Moogfest in prior years, and I always loved it as a music festival, but uh, this new direction that they're taking it in is, well, really innovative. I don't think there's anything even remotely like it in existence. Good for me. (laughs) Keeps me busy. So the name of uh, Simon's book is The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets. And the panel's called The Math and Science of the Simpsons and Futurama. Yeah, and I think it's going to focus even a little more on Futurama since there's been so much discussion of The Simpsons already. Although all of the writers who are going to be there, that's me, Ken Keeler, Jeff Westbrook, and Stuart Burns, have all written for both shows. So we, we should be able to field any kind of questions or discuss whatever comes up. I think we're going to focus a little more on Futurama just to uh, mix it up. And also because Futurama probably ultimately has more material on this, even though The Simpsons sells more books, but Futurama's got more meat on this topic. So <laughs> we're probably going to uh, watch a little Futurama together with the fans, which is always a risky <laughs> proposition. And then we will lovingly dissect it, especially the math and science references along with them. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to share with people when I'm, I'm telling people about how nerdy Futurama is, that you guys wrote <laughs> a mathematical proof just yeah, for a joking and, um, episode. Ken Keeler, the creator of that proof, who will be there. You want me to say a little bit about that proof? Go for it, man. There's this uh, proof called the Futurama Theorem now, informally, <laughs> uh, which came about just talking about the subject of an episode we were writing. This is an episode of Futurama where Professor Farnsworth invents a machine that can switch people's brains. So once they're brain switch. Uh, They have the voice and thoughts of the person they switch with. And the complication we thought of only to make the story more interesting and complicated was that once the machine switches two people, it cannot switch the same two people back. So if you ever want to get your own brain back, it has to travel sort of through a series of people and eventually get back to you. And we were just discussing that just to make the plot more interesting. But then suddenly Ken said, uh, hey, wait a second. I wonder if it's even possible in general, for everybody to get their original brain back. And we all just kind of sat there for a minute, like, uh-oh, this could be trouble. So Ken Keeler, having a PhD in applied math, as it turns out, and who was already going to be the one writing this episode, went home, came back the next day with the proof of a theorem in group theory for any mathematicians out there. And the gist of it is that no matter how much you mix up everyone's brains, you can always get them back to their starting places as long as you bring in two new people who have not had their brains switched yet. So if you bring in two people to sort of serve as conduits for brains, you can always get everyone, including those two people, back to their original body. And in the episode, we used this idea. We brought in two members of the future Globetrotters, who Futurama fans may know are uh, traveling basketball-playing mathematicians in the future, (laughs) which is already previously established. So conveniently, we had them uh, ready to go. So we brought in them, and, and two of them stood in as the extra bodies per the uh, theorem, and everyone got back to their original brain. So I'm actually pretty proud of this episode because I think, I don't, ha- I don't have absolute proof of this, but I believe it is the only 
sitcom episode in history where the hero was a mathematical theorem. (laughs) 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 I I feel very proud of it. I don't think you would have seen that on Seinfeld or The Golden Girls or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Though I would pay to watch that episode of The Golden Girls, I'll be honest. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, they they had the similar episode, but you had to bring in two extra 80-year-old women to get everyone back to their original body. (laughs) But then one of them dies partway through. Ah, that's that's dark. By the way, B. Arthur is probably my favorite Futurama guest star of all time. Even though we're veering off topic here for a second, I have only respect for B. Arthur. She did such a fabulous job on Futurama. It was one of my favorite moments. I actually don't remember the circumstance of that. What? I'm tempted to hang up right now. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. We'll bring it back. I'm going to bear with this. She played the femme pewter in the Amazon Women episode. It's called Amazon Women in the Mood. So this was way back on Fox. I have seen this. You you are allowed to forget it. I have seen this, but I didn't even remember it was her. The femme pewter was actually a femme bot disguised as a femme pewter, not to give away the shocking surprise ending. (laughs) And Bender, by the way, had a romantic relationship with her. So I actually got to be in the studio recording John DiMaggio and B. Arthur having a romantic love scene. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> that is, oh my, that does sound really incredible. We've got a lot of uh, voice actor nerds as, as listeners of the show, and in Tony's case, as a host of the show. So that, that does sound magical. Guilty as charged. <laughs> hey, have you seen John's movie, I Know That Voice? It's really great. And uh, a lot of... Futurama, especially because, you know, he had all those actors <laughs> ready to go in the studio, but uh, millions of other people, too. It's really, it's a, it's a very fun and positive, great documentary if anybody hasn't seen it. I was following the development of it for a while. I knew it had hit some festivals, but I, I, I don't know if it's, is it out yet? Is it like available? I think it's on iTunes. Actually, I'm pretty sure it is on iTunes because I think it was just released like last week on iTunes. So uh, I'm 99% positive you can get it right oh. now. And I don't get any cut of this. I'm not, this is not me advertising anything. I just think it's really good. And John is great. Well, that's outstanding. We'll link to where you can check it out on this episode's page. So, How come I got on here and started promoting other people? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> You're just a stand-up guy. <laughs> Wrapping it back around, uh, Simon actually did a talk on uh, Talks at Google for The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets, which we'll also link to on this episode's page. So if you've checked that out, dear listener, then um, you should definitely try to make it out to Moogfest, where you're clearly going to see a very different version now that Futurama is all included. You know, we've we've done a lot of panels at Comic-Con and other types of things, so they're always really fun, and I think uh, people will have a blast if they come out and uh we will not just be yakking but we'll be taking questions and uh we will try to make it interactive to the degree possible more so than a multiple choice mathematics test i'm hoping well nothing's that much fun if you're me but okay uh, <laughs> this would be a, a close second when you guys were starting off um you and the futurama team finding the right balance of science fiction and comedy were there any other sci-fi comedies that you look to for inspiration that is an excellent question. Um, yeah, as far as the whole genre of sci-fi comedy, it is a very thin genre. And uh, if you go to books, there's some things I like. Of course, there's like uh, Kurt Vonnegut. There's a writer, Stanislaw Lem, who I uh, read a fair amount of. As far as like TV shows and movies, there's not that much. I mean, there was like Spaceballs, if anyone said it. Um, yep. I'm sure there are a few other things. There was that, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Home Improvement Guy's movie. Tim uh, Allen, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy I got Quest. you. That was, I like that. That was good. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's not a huge amount. So we didn't have a lot of guidance, in other words, in terms of what 
works and what doesn't work. So we just sort of threw it out there and started trying things and became a matter of trial and error, I would say, except that in animation, you have this long feedback loop where you write the show and it doesn't air for a year because of the animation process. And if you learn anything from that, the next episode won't air for another year that where, where you could incorporate that lesson. So it's a slow feedback loop. But we, I do feel like we were fortunate enough to survive long enough that we did learn some big lessons there. And the biggest one was that, you know, initially we were very nervous about going to sci-fi in the show, even though that was the whole setting and kind of the whole point of it. We, we thought, yeah, we got to stay a little closer to the Simpsons and jokes about Earth and what are people eating and watching on TV in the future and that kind of stuff. But we gradually noticed that the fans were really responding to the episodes that did hit the sci-fi a little harder, and that sort of loosened us up. And to my surprise, I found that as the years went on, the more seriously we took the sci-fi and we tried to make the heart of the dramatic plot a real good sci-fi story, the kind of funnier and easier it was to write comedy for the episode as well, because, you know, you had this tension from just the bass opera <laughs> aspect of it. If, if you took it seriously, that made it funnier when the, there was an actual joke against that tension. So much to my surprise, I found that the comedy worked better when we took the sci-fi more seriously. And that just made the whole show, I think, a lot better once you get to like the third, fourth, and later seasons where you get a good sci-fi story. And I think it's also funny. So that's the big lesson for sci-fi comedy, I think, is take the sci-fi seriously. Something that I've noticed in looking at other sci-fi comedies like uh, Red Dwarf, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Obviously, there are more I didn't name, but there's not a huge list I think people will agree. Yeah, no, no, totally. Those are just from my sphere of experience. But looking at them, they do an incredible job of uh, heightening emotion and uh, and like powerful, sad emotional moments and Futurama is also a, a part of this. Like there are the some dog episode. <laughs> yeah. Or as people some people call it the goddamn dog episode. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why that should go well with science fiction. I guess there's something about sort of the passage of time and especially if you do time travel and stuff that is good for emotional stories, I guess, where uh, you know, you see the long lasting effects on people's relationships and things. So there's a, I see that connection sort of but that's another thing sort of surprising to me is that when we really went for the emotion of Futurama, people also seem to go for that. And that, what I would say, is the second big lesson out of two. I learned two things. <laughs> and uh, we did not really try that the first couple of seasons of Futurama. And then the first time we really went out on the limb and said, you know, let's go for the gut with the emotion is this episode. It was in season three of our original run called The Luck of the Fryrish. Always one of my favorite episodes where Fry learned more about the brother he had left behind a thousand years ago, who was presumably long since dead and who he had this big grudge against, and he gradually unearthed things and learned more about him and had a very touching ending that even like after I had watched it 38 times in editing, it was, it was, it was bring a tear to my eye, and I felt like, well, I'm just a weirdo, but then fans really liked that. So we tried it a few more times with the dog episode, the dreaded dog episode you mentioned where we see Fry's dog <laughs> <laughs> and the grim fate that ultimately awaited him. But touching. <laughs> and um, then the last few years when we were back in Comedy Central, we sort of said, well, we'll do one or two of those a year and people won't know when it's coming. So it's like a gut punch. <laughs> Just surprise you when you're expecting some jokes about robots to suddenly <laughs> have a tear in your eye. Now, the funny thing was when the dog episode ran, some fans were actually really angry online. And, you know, one guy was like, I hate this. There I was laughing along with my favorite show, Futurama, and suddenly I'm crying. And how dare they do this to me? <laughs> that works pretty well. That also, I always, man cards I always away. feel pride in those episodes because I feel like it's hard enough to get people to care about a character in a live action show or movie. So if you can get someone to actually emotionally 
feel empathy for a character in a cartoon, I feel like that's a higher degree of difficulty. So I always feel like we get a sort of bonus point if we pull those episodes off. Yeah, I got to hand it to you guys. You got really good at ending the series with those kind of <laughs> yeah. those sad yeah, but happy I, moments. I, yeah, I tell people like if uh, when you've had a lot of practice writing your last episode ever, that means something's gone horribly wrong with the series. Because <laughs> <laughs> there were literally four occasions on which we in the writing room, the writing staff, thought we were writing the last episode ever and had to write it accordingly. So that would be at the end of uh, season four, production season four on Fox, when we really were canceled. And then again, at the end of the DVD movies we did later, where we did four of those, we had to write the last one, like it was the last one ever. And then we did two batches of 26 episodes for Comedy Central, which they ran 13, 13, 13, 13 over four years. So at the end of the first 26, we thought we were done. And the second 26, we thought we were done. So I mentioned Ken Keeler before, the author of the Futurama Theorem. He also, by tradition, always writes the last episode ever. So <laughs> a lot of <laughs> lessons were learned personally by him. In, in fact, the last one was so good, I think. You know, I don't think we nail every episode, but I think we, we do put a lot of effort into the last episodes ever. So most of them are pretty good. And this last one, where if I had this time travel button that could take him back 10 seconds, but only 10 seconds into the past and the horrible things that resulted as a result of that, it was really one of my favorite episodes ever. And I almost feel like it would be sad to have to come back if we if this show ever got renewed again, because I feel like, oh, it ended so nicely. What, what, you know, would we just be messing things up if we did more episodes? But then again, I guess if we did more episodes, we could set them sort of back in an earlier year that we missed while we were canceled or something. So maybe that's the answer to that problem. Well, I guess the obligatory question then begs to ask, what is next? Next for me? Next for Futurama? Next for I, you. I, I will say for Futurama fans, there's always one more thing lurking in the pipeline, and that is, at the moment, the Simso-Rama, Simpsons-Futurama crossover episode that is in the works right now. It's been written and recorded and being animated somewhere on the other side of the world right now, <laughs> and features many of the characters from Futurama, and that tentatively, I think, is going to be on in November, but the air date's not set yet, so sometime, let's say sometime between September of this year and September of the following year. I'm going to be very nonspecific, so no one can claim I misled them, but <laughs> roughly November of this year, probably. And as for me, I'm writing down my 2 a.m. ideas, I call them, when I'm lying in bed and I have a really bad idea, and I write it down, and then I look at it in the morning and I crumple it up, but I, I'm collecting those, and I actually think I have a couple of good ones, but I'm not ready to discuss them at this moment, so I will have some good things coming, but they're secret at the moment. <laughs> That's cool. We'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Outside your window, watching. Hey, you're there right now. Get out of there. <laughs> Dang it. Pay no attention. Just climbing down. <laughs> it's about time we had a song break, and here's something Futurama-themed. Adam Warrock, who truly does have a song for everything at this point, released a six-track Planet Express EP, all Futurama-themed rhymes, and this track is the Futurama-themed remix, featuring a name drop of David X. Cohen. Century rock with me to the aliens and all the robots with me. When I plug in the toaster and redefine, then I realize I'm like lost in time. Cause now I lost a couple of hours devouring every episode. Here on the microphone, I'll let you know. Child of the 90s, born in the 80s. Tracy Ullman show, yo, my mother used to say to me. Top watch cartoons, they watch your mind. But now my friends and I quote the Simpsons all the time. But you get your choice of top that's good. Gosh dang it, and they took a whole crew off the whole darn planet. To the X in the middle of David Cohen, that marks the spot in the kind of television I'm known. And I'm poor like Zoidberg, living like Bender. Planet Express package, return to sender. Clumsy like Amy Ortic Van Tyke. And if you never bother watching cartoons in your life, then I bet you might cry when Fry gets back 
compose myself. Yeah. Cause some people think when I rap and nothing has happened on the inside. Trying to make a geek year nerdy is how you define. Do what I love about what I love most. Parks and Rec, Firefly, Mass Effect, Space Ghost. Cause these shows got me through all those lonely nights when I used to live a life that I didn't really like. Now I'm rocking on the mic, no need for explaining. Big ups to homie Matt Crane and yeah. Sometimes life is hell and if you couldn't tell, I'm here to rock the belt and serve a little to the clientele. Hell. Kids who love laughing, those who might obsess over details and cartoons playing on their snacks. I used to play part versus the world in the arcades. Matt And now it's like back and everything's cool, right? Power to the fans, right? Oh, I'm gonna just keep rapping. Is that cool with y'all? Here we go. Yeah, check it out. Futurama, where the robots will smoke cubanas and drink a lot of surfaces until they call their mama. Where you can live until tomorrow with that kind of drama. Go try to find another rapper with my kind of karma. I'll do the bender, yo. I'll do the part, man, man. I'll be dancing for the music even starts, man. Cause rappers talk about music and start, man. I think the argument's just on a house of cars, in. I think music and culture's fun and it should spark a little bit before the song is done. Hope it did in your chest if you love the sun and if you make believe put your toy face or the stun. Yeah, know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to make high art here. I'm trying to have a good time. I hope you had a good time too. Check it out. 31st century rock with me. To the aliens and all the robots with me. When I plug in the toaster and redefine, then I realize I'm like lost in time. And the future's so bright that I hope I got shades on. Glad in the night that the stars still stay on. I'm here to do it better than you've ever known. And the future's just a day away. I can't wait. Let's go. We have a question from a listener named Mauron. He's Mauron? A- not Milvar. No, Mauron. We, we know some things about him. He's uh works in a maple syrup farm in Canada. That doesn't narrow it down at all. I know millions of people who do that. <laughs> and all of them are Canadian, which is weird. <laughs> he wants to know if there were any backroom brainstorming sessions that yielded comedy gold for Futurama, but you weren't able to air due to television restrictions. Hmm. <laughs> you know, most recently we were on Comedy Central, which had a lot looser restrictions than Fox did in the old days. So. Uh, Honestly, we were doing a lot of self-policing of uh, the show the last few seasons where we wanted to just make sure the tone of the show was somewhat consistent with the previous episodes just so fans of the show would not be alienated. That said, we did I think we did cross the line once or twice. This is still some of the things we did do. There was an episode where Zap and Leela were stranded on sort of a Garden of Eden planet and things got a little racy and they were naked the whole time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think we overdid it with the luxury of being on Comedy Central a few times. But actually, I'll tell one more story. In that same episode, we had this character of this censorship satellite that would beep over the characters saying anything that they shouldn't be saying on TV. And that was sort of the joke of it. And the, you know, the idea was you wouldn't hear it because of the beep of the offended satellite. But uh, when Comedy Central's standards department read it, they sent us a note back and said, well, you know, what was Leela going to say? Because on Comedy Central, she can probably say it. <laughs> they were perfectly happy to have us go off the deep end. So as far as what did we not show, you know, the only thing I remember, I do remember there was one joke up on an index card on the wall that we never used that might have made things a little difficult. It was the Mobius Strip Club. So there's <laughs> one place we never got to. And then just piggybacking off of that a little bit, all of us here at Nerdy Show are big fans of Adventure Time. How did you get Jake and Finn to pop up in an episode? Was there any kind of standards there since you didn't say the names? It was kind of just under the rug? It was all above board. First of all, you know that John DiMaggio is both characters, right? Absolutely. Of course. So Voice actor nerd. The, I'm with you. So um, that was obviously the inspiration that Bender is angry at himself in that quick shot. And uh, most of the animation world is on good terms with itself. <laughs> we just <laughs> sent a note over there and said, hey, can we get permission to do this? And they said, just let us look at it first. And they saw it and they had no objection. So yeah, it was all above board. So 
I, I think, you know, if we had tried to spell T-shirts with those characters in it or something, that would have required a lot more legal maneuvering. And by the way, that didn't stop a lot of fans, I noticed, from making them and selling them on the internet anyway. But <laughs> those were the non-licensed products, but the show was all official. Very cool. I guess now we're ready to uh, dive into some deeper stuff, like some sci-tech topics. Mm, okay. Life, life extension. You know, it's in the jar. Way of the future. <laughs> You want to know how head in the jar technology works? Because it's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't where I was going with it, but that's definitely where Tony's taking it. When we were talking about, well, how does, how does that jar fluid preserve the head? We decided, well, it preserved people with the appearance that they were most remembered in. So that's why you don't see everybody on their deathbed pose in the head in the jar. Well, that makes Skeleton sense. Of the various makes presidents sci- you have up. to agree it makes scientific sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 100% true fact. <laughs> Looking at how far life expectancy is going in the future, like what sort of technologies do you feel are going to progress us in that way? And um, what are your feelings on the extension of human life in general? Does it change the equation fundamentally? What, now, what equation? <laughs> the, <laughs> Not the a equation literal equation. Society as a whole or the equation of people's enjoyment of life? Because they're kind of, you know, obviously there's big pluses and minuses. So, mm. you know, everyone wants to live long enough to see their grandchildren or whatever it is, but they may be in misery. So, you know, I think like most people, my thinking would be happy to extend my life as long as I am not in misery and in, you know, horrible physical pain. That's going to require a combination of things to be successful, which would be combating senility, which there does seem to be some progress as far as I've been reading in that area and Alzheimer's, and uh, coupled with the physical improvements to people's physical health. Seems like a double whammy is needed. And then, of course, it's going to cause a great expense to society to have all these old people around, and I don't know if we're ready for that, since all of our support system for senior citizens is already falling apart at the seams. So it seems like it's going to happen, but and it is happening, but... Uh, Nobody's quite ready, so... Well, and, and you guys had an episode where you basically were going to send Farnsworth off to, what was it, like an almost Death Star-like space station to just be like yes, archived away? The, the near-death star, which is like <laughs> yes. it's a virtual retirement home where uh, you get plugged into this... I'm not going to use the term matrix, speaking of legal technicalities, but a uh, matroid of some kind. <laughs> um, Seriously, and, uh, yeah, you're For some reason, I don't know why they programmed it so that in your mind you're still living in a really drab nursing home in Florida when you're plugged into this thing. They could have made it a lot nicer. Yeah, so, so, the, so yeah, so the other big impediment is we just need more creative programmers for our virtual retirement homes before we all age into them. Well, what do you think is the, the presence of virtual entities creating facsimiles of, uh, of consciousness and sustaining life beyond the flesh? Is that for you? You know, if that was the only option, I would take it. I think I would take it because it's like it beats nothing <laughs> for me. DavidXCohen.exe. You know, and, and, and once you have it in that form, you could kind of, even if the robot bodies weren't that great yet, they might get better and you could presumably keep moving it around. Now, that said, that seems like something to me that is way off. Still, I don't see us, any of us benefiting from that, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, why not? I would do it if, as a last resort. Far way off from a full ghost in the shell. Sign me up just in case. <laughs> yeah. we'll do I, I've taken your name down, <laughs> okay. and we'll send a care package. If, uh, then again, if you, have, if you send me an invoice for my deposit, um, and it gets suspicious. <laughs> I, just I was at a cryogenics lecture where they were very much sort of, you know, it, that was kind of like the, the backdrop of the entire thing was, so you should really sign up and give us, you know, several hundred thousand dollars to preserve your body, just in case. 
Yeah, but really, they got to preserve our mind, I guess. Well, yeah, and of course, I mean, cryogenics, you're just going to have... a zombie body walking around without me a thousand years from now. Well, yeah, <laughs> and especially with, I mean, just dumping you at a liquid nitrogen vat, you're going to have, like, tons of cellular lysing and that kind of stuff. So, like, admittedly, there is better technologies for, for preserving via frozen, but... No. <laughs> and also, you know, by the time you, most people get to that point, they're already very elderly and it's like, hmm, maybe if you really are convinced it's going to work, maybe you should just freeze yourself at age 23 or something like that. Which would be murder, right? And that's was one of the major problems. Well, really like, we can't kill work, you. I guess you don't, it's not murder in your own mind, I guess, but uh, I don't know how the legal system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Futurama movie, Bender's Game, had a lot of um, tabletop role playing influence. I was wondering if you personally had a background in tabletop role playing. Yeah, I was. Uh, I played D and D back in the day in the eighties. You know, I thought it was interesting when we were doing those DVD movies. The whole area, not just of role playing games, but even just fantasy, like Lord of the Rings type fantasy. We had never really done any episodes in that area, so it was like this huge gaping hole in the Futurama landscape. So I was very excited about that. And uh, actually, there's a, I'm trying to remember, I don't think it's actually a uh, advertised feature, but I think there's something where you can see my old D&D materials in that DVD, if we put them in. Boy, now I don't even remember. It's been a while. <laughs> I think I show my dice collection or something on there. Oh, the oh, hunt is on. Is? I think I just show my collection of dodecahedrons. <laughs> the key thing in the uh, episode is this 12-sided die, and uh, I have a little collection of 12-sided objects, including, for example, a natural pyrite crystal which can appear as a dodecahedron. Wow. I bet most people don't know that. No, nope. they do now. <laughs> so, uh, well, oh, yeah, but I'm veering off the topic. But yeah, I played D&D when I was in like uh, middle school and high school. And not a lot since then, honestly, but it was very, you know, it was one of my favorite things in the world. And I went to Gen Con once and sat on a panel for the 25th anniversary of Dungeons & Dragons, I think. Talked a little bit about it. So, yeah, it was important to me at the time. And, uh, yeah, good memories. Well, unless it's too personal, what was your character that you played longest? My character, which uh, started out as like a suggested name in the basic set, was Show Rembo, the uh, half-elven fighter magic user. <laughs> and, uh, I actually carried it over from that basic set, which I originally had, to the AD&D, which we moved on to. And that, that which is still, so, you know, numerous generations behind whatever they're on now, but uh, mm-hmm. the version that we used to play was the, the original AD&D books. And I was, I guess I was Dungeon Master probably most of the time, but although I switched off with my friend Roy, Roy Carvalho, so I got to play with basically when he was Dungeon Master and vice versa. I know you said fighter magic user, but I heard spider magic <laughs> no, user. No, 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 fighter, fighter, correct, yeah. Fighter <laughs> magic user, that would have been actually quite interesting, but no, fighter. Yeah, I, I, I am now, I'm picturing what spider <laughs> yeah, magic is, yeah. if you would go around, say, in a red and blue costume, saving medieval <laughs> worlds. Thanks for clearing that up, Tony. I actually did think he said spider magic. I was like, oh man, I have to look that up. That sounds gross. Well, it was either that or he was like a half elf, half spider, which is equally weird when you think of the coitus. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. I didn't have to, but it did. When you, he, say, it, we, when you say it, we have to picture it. So. <laughs> He's a man with next to no restraint. <laughs> so if you want to check out the math and science of the Simpsons and Futurama you better get your ass to Moogfest. Luckily, we're not in the evening against famous musicians. Although, then again, maybe that's a separate audience. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you guys could all well, break out recorders and xylophones. <laughs> you know what? If, if you sung to the point that I'm the, providing the musical entertainment, they might as well close up the festival. <laughs> not, not my uh, area of expertise. 
is there anything you're actually uh, excited to see uh, aside from your own your own presentation at Moogfest, like other presentations, uh, musicians? Yeah, I don't know what time anything's at, but uh, I think I saw that Q-Tip is going to be there. I'd like to see that. And uh, Sheik from uh, Freak Out. That was really big. I'm originally from Englewood, New Jersey, which is the home of Sugar Hill Records for uh, any rap fans out there. So uh, people may not know that about me, but I'm from the home of rap music. So I was interested in seeing some of that stuff and, and uh, funk, which was big when I was in middle school. <laughs> That's what we used to listen to. So uh, not your normal background music for Dungeons & Dragons games, but that was Englewood, New Jersey in the 1980s. Well, if you want to hang out with uh, David X. Cohen and check out this panel and uh, see some cool shows and presentations, you best head over to Moogfest. Was I nerdy enough? Oh, very. Okay. You excel at that. <laughs> I do take pride in that. Thank you so much, man. It's been sure. a pleasure. It was wonderful. It was like talking back to the commentaries I listened to. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've actually been recognized three or four times by people who heard my voice and said that they recognized it from the commentary. So those are my proudest moments when I hear that. That is a true fan who has listened to that many commentaries. <laughs> thank you to you and Matt for doing one for every episode. It was great. I have enjoyed them all. Well, thank you. Those are actually fun for us to do. The secret is no preparation. <laughs> go in there and yak, and it's always like kind of like a nice reunion, because at the point we do those, you know, it's been a while since the show was done, so it's like, oh yeah, we get to watch the show, and before you were really worried about trying to get it right and make it the right length and all that, then you can just kind of watch it and hang out with people. So it's always a good mood when we do this. Thanks so much for joining us for the interview, Tony. It was my pleasure. Wait, it's a westward wind. I must go. Whoosh. He's gone. Well, like we said, Moogfest is April 23rd through 27th. Keep your eyes peeled to find out when exactly the Futurama panel is going to be. The announcement for the days should be happening this week. There's lots of other things going on. I mean, like, the guest list is absolutely insane, whether it's for the presenters or for the music. Music-wise, they're having three shows by uh, Kraftwerk, one of the most important early synth groups of all time. Pet Shop Boys are going to be there, MIA, Flying Lotus. Now Rogers is getting together with the classic disco group Chic, which is what uh, David was talking about. Giorgio Moroder, famed synth composer for, like, Jesus, so many films from the 1980s, so many... Featured prominently in the most recent Daft Punk album. That's true. He had his own autobiographical track on, on the latest Daft Punk record. Which is pretty damn high praise. Marauder is going to be both speaking and doing a performance, and I cannot even tell you how excited I am to see that. Com Trues is going to be there, one of my favorite electronic musicians. Dan Deacon's going to be doing a performance, and of course, Yacht, which is uh, fronted by Claire Evans, who we'll be interviewing later on in the month. Uh, day speakers, lots of amazing, amazing, amazing panels. Janelle Monet is actually going to be there, but she's not going to be performing. She's going to be doing a panel. This is a very interesting event. The, the Just the bizarre mix of people. Yeah, there's going to be circuit bending classes and competitions. And just as an example of the sort of panels they're going to have, there's one called Sounds of Space. Astrophysicists, scientists, and artists discuss the important research on sound in space. Questions about art and music for this world and beyond. With University of Iowa's Department of Physics and Astronomy's William Kurth, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, a.k.a. SETI's, Artist-in-Residence, Charles Lindsay, and more. Which sounds like the kind of insane debates that we would have here on Nerdy Show, which just goes to show how nuts it is to actually have that out in the open. Yeah, those kind of those kind of conversations, the public. <laughs> those kind of conversations backed up by professionals uh, who are not just professional podcasters. <laughs> Stay tuned for our episodes with Claire Evans, Mark Fraunfelder and Neil Harbison coming uh, more in March. And uh, one of the episodes is going to be in April, as well as more episodes celebrating RPG Month. 
All month long, we're doing tabletop role-playing related podcasts. We previously interviewed Chamber Band, a folk band heavily influenced by Dungeons & Dragons. And next week, we're talking with the creative team behind Rat Queens, an amazing tabletop role-playing influenced comic book. One of my favorite new books of last year. Also, on March 22nd, we're uh, hosting a panel at Megacon, our Orlando local large-scale nerd convention, and it's all about tabletop role-playing podcasts. If you like what you heard, if you enjoy the show, then we need you to chip in. We are entirely listener-supported. Nerdy Show, the podcast, and in fact, the entire Nerdy Show network of podcasts, and our 24-7 streaming nerd music radio station, Nerdy.fm. It all is funded by you guys, and every little bit counts, even a dollar. If you donate to us, we'll send you a bunch of cool stuff in the mail. If you leave us any messages, we'll read them here on the show. Unless you don't want us to. Unless you don't want us to. We honor your wishes, generally. We'll give shout-outs to friends, whatever you want. And if you time your donation right, you could even decide what we talk about on a future episode. But this month, we're doing an RPG support drive, so any dollar contribution you can put towards us doing one of our dramatic, immersive, cinematic RPG podcasts. A one-shot created using the role-playing system of your choice. We've got a ton of systems in the running, including Mass Effect, Star Wreck, a parody of Star Trek, Dresden Files, Fiasco, Firefly, Gamma World, Mouse Guard, Sagas Modern, Shadowrun, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and other strangeness, World of Darkness, and the recently added Apocalypse World, and Kobolds Ate My Baby. So uh, obviously you guys are clearly going to be voting for Mass Effect, which I have no idea whether or not that's actually a good experience, but uh, I Mass Effect. Well, we'll find Just out. Saying. It's a it's a fan made system, so it could oh. be. It, it, it is going to be <laughs> I some hope challenges. It's the good kind of fan made system and not the bad kind. If you have another role-playing system in mind that you'd like us to try out playing, well, you can add that to the list. You just have to email us, tell us what it is, why you think that uh, it would be a good idea, and whether or not it would be easy for us to track down. And with a donation, we can add that to the list. But as incentive for you to pick something that maybe you would be on the fence about otherwise, those of us Nerdy Show hosts who are interested in certain systems have created character profiles for the characters we'd play if a certain system wins. Oh, that should add an incentive there. Yeah, you should do one, John, for Mass Effect if you want it so badly. I'm going to completely destroy all of my nerd cred by saying I have never played a tabletop. Well, I mean, that's not completely unusual. I had never played a tabletop game until we started recording them with Nerdy Show. I mean... I play video games. We all play video games, John. (laughs) I play them more! (laughs) That's probably true. Well, John, uh, Mass Effect would probably be a pretty good place for you to jump in since you're already so familiar with the world. You're right. I just... uh. Colin's going to play a Volus sharpshooter. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, that sounds like canned laughter practically, but I was literally shocked. So if you want to uh, che- if you want to check out a full list of all the character write ups that we've done so far, uh, pleading with you to to choose the uh, <laughs> the system of our individual choosings. Is it going to be like? Uh, yeah, I just got a headshot. Like the entire time, like he's got a gas mask on. I, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be. I mean, him voices are like tiny little teddy bears in spacesuits. Colin's the one who does all the sound editing, so he's he's going to be in charge of that. <laughs> This is the worst idea ever. Does anybody else have profiles for it? Or is he the only one? Uh, no, Adam from Ghostbusters also is. He's a human. He's um, is he, he going to be a Ghostbuster? <laughs> no, no, he, he's he's a um, some kind of a of a of a biot in seven kind of guy. And uh, he uh, an adept. Maybe what I remember is that his um, friends and loved ones were all killed during the Reaper invasion. So he's uh, pretty much a synthetic racist. And uh, does this take place after three? Yes. Huh? 
Maybe. I, I'm just really confused as to how the story went because, like, his, I mean, his pro- much, no matter what you do, the the relays are just blown up. His his profile takes place oh, after spoiler three. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, his his profile takes place after three, but we may choose to set it some other time. I don't know. If it makes sense based on the rules of a game that we know very little about. Oh, well, not the game, but the, the game that we're talking about, the, the tabletopper. Yes. Um, we also recently published a um, Dresden Files profile for a character Hex created. He's a um, vagrant wizard who accidentally <laughs> summoned a demon as a kid and it uh, stole his brother. And uh, uh, That sounds like some like Full Metal Alchemist shit there. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan from Wicked Anime created a Star Wreck character who's a helmsman who has robot hands. And since Chan from Derpy Show requested Apocalypse World, he's added his own description of the Mad Maxian landscape and a description of the character he'll play if it wins. I haven't done one of these yet uh, because I've been trying to find the time, but I totally am. I'm eyeballing doing a World of Darkness character. We'll see what happens with that, but I, I hope to do that. I know we got a Dresden Files character coming from K and... Uh, I'm really hoping Mass Effect wins. <laughs> I really, I would actually legit want to listen to like what sort of stupid nonsense. Well, listen or play, John. Uh, I know. I just, it's like Colin set a, a standard now where I think I have to come up with the most ridiculous character ever, and I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a challenge, and if you think John should do it, then you should comment on the Mass Effect RPG support drive thread on our forums. Right now, we got to give some shout-outs to our most recent contributors to the cause. Bryce Harris donated to Star Wreck. He said, A little late on this, but the Dungeons & Doritos premiere and sequel were fantastic. Here's some money for Star Wreck, because space needs more Christian scientists and robot hands. That's, of course, referring to the two characters that uh, Nerdy Show personalities have pitched so far. And then first-time contributor Jack Oates came in and boldly declared, I'd like to put in $5 for Dresden Files and $5 to add Kobolds Ate My Baby. Kobolds Ate My Baby is new to the list, and it sounds like a crazy role-playing system where everyone is flesh-hungry, mischievous might be too kind of word, just awful kobolds causing nothing but trouble. And since they were the first enemy we fought in Dungeons and Doritos back in the day, I'm uh, kind of pondering whether or not if we play the system, it might somehow tie into Dungeons and Doritos, but that I, don't, I haven't read up on the system yet. That could be wishful thinking. I don't know if they'll truly mix and match. Uh, if you've played Kobolds Ate My Baby, I would like to hear from you. So comment on the Kobolds Ate My Baby page on the Nerdy Show forums. Jack also earned a microsode via his contribution, and he requested a very interesting abstract topic, all things bebop, be it cowboy, mutant boar man, music, or even that one episode of C-Lab 2021 with the bebop cola vending machine, which is my favorite episode of that show. So I'm really excited to talk about that one time a scorpion laid eggs in Murphy's Navel. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show. Like I said, if you like what you heard, support us. If you'd like to contribute to the show, just go to nerdyshow.com support or click the link on our front page where you'll see all the details on all the various RPG systems that are available. And we'll see you next week for our interview with the team from Rat Queens and in a couple weeks when our Moogfest coverage continues. Taking us out, this is a track from Professor Shy Guy's brand new cover record. It's called Rhythm and Bloops, and it has an insane guest list, including Brentel Floss, Megaran, Samus, K. Murdoch, my parents' favorite music, Kilroy of the Proto Men, Doug Funny, Adam Warrock, Dr. Awkward, Tribe One, Heyday Revival, Ali Spagnola, Richie Branson, One Up, and Cyfried. With this track, Professor Shy Guy teams up with our very own Mark with a C to cover TLC's Red Light Special. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm John.
should touch it if you like to go down. I'll let you go further if you take the southern route. Don't go too fast. Don't go too slow. You got to let your body flow. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. 
Uh, not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode, but if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment. Fullest snipers. <laughs> How is that even? I just, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs>